There's an old saying that says if all you have is a hammer, everything becomes a nail. And for the most part, it's used in a negative way. For example, imagine if you call a plumber to your house because your hot water heater is leaking. He shows up at your house and all he's got is this hammer. Well, how could he possibly fix either the leak or replace the water heater? Think about it. If, uh, if you got a, a leaking water supply line, he can't hammer that leak away, right? He might have to cut the line. He might have to use a brazing torch. He might have to use a pipe cutter. Uh, imagine you have a gas leak on, into that water heater. He might need some pipe wrenches, but the hammer is not going to get the job done. So what that saying is trying to tell you is you can't really just have one tool for every single job. You really need a toolbox, and you use that. You pull the tools out of the toolbox as you use them. Sorry, as you need them according to the situation. But I've also found out that in life, to be great at anything, sometimes you got to know what your hammer is, and you got to go around looking for nails. And on deep reflection of my life, I've come to realize that my hammer is really eliminating waste. Time waste is a thing that kills me. Uh, it's killed me since I was a little kid. It kills me now. And, and any job that I've had and anything that I've done, including working out, coaching football, jobs in corporate America for the last 20 years, it's always been about eliminating waste. And it's not just eliminating waste for waste's sake. It's eliminating waste to free up time so you could focus on what's actually important. So when I say waste, I mean that's doing stuff that adds no value. And really, time and attention are not renewable resources. You're never getting them back. So if someone is wasting my time, or if they're wasting other people's time, it kills me. It absolutely kills me. So what I'm going to do today in this podcast is relay a teaching to you that's going to help you coach better, train better, live better. And it's, it's really focused around what's called the seven deadly wastes. Now, where did I pick this up? So... Some of you, most of you, probably all of you don't know that I've been formally trained in something called Lean Six Sigma. Google it, look it up, but essentially the premise of this thing, say in a, a production environment, is to reduce variation in whatever product or widget that you're making to try and get that same repeatable process free of defects and then also in that process eliminating as much waste from the workflow as possible. So, right, who cares, man? This is a weightlifting sports uh, podcast. Who cares about that stuff? Well, we're going to talk about how that same exact stuff relates, and we'll do it in a specific, tangible way. We'll talk about football coaching. I'll try and link it back to work so it makes some some sense for you guys, but this is going to help you in every facet of your life. There is a warning here. Once you hear this, you can't unhear it. Once you learn this, you can't unlearn it. So once you see the light, you can't go back the other way. You're going to become frustrated by people who are wasting your time. You're going to become so frustrated that you might not even be able to be in that environment anymore. So what's pretty cool, we went to a conference last year, I'm sorry, last, last month in Festus, Missouri. And the, the keynote speaker, this guy Tony Holler, he rocked the floor. And he said, he was a, he's a football coach, he's a track coach. And he said, looking back, I realized, I hate track. I hate it. I hate every second of it. I don't know why I coach it. I don't know why I ran it. And then when he thought about it, it was because this track practices were so long and so grueling. And I th- thought back on myself and I said, you know what? I hate football. 
I mean, I love football. It consumes every thought in my mind 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And a uh, weird side note, in my 8th grade yearbook from St. Joseph St. Thomas, I mean, I love football so much that in 8th grade, you know, they write these ridiculous things like imagine if, and the imagine if for George Mahoney was, imagine if George Mahoney was not playing football, because that's literally all I did. I, I No matter who you were, no matter what you did, I, I grabbed you on my in my neighborhood, I put a football in your hand, and we're playing football every day in the street, we're playing football at the park, I played it every day in high school, I played it after practice, on weekends, after games, I was obsessed with football. Still am. But there's parts of me that hate football. Because in this coaching world, a lot of being a coach, a lot of it, there's a massive waste of time. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about this, these seven deadly wastes. The seven deadly wastes. And note, people can be successful without adhering to getting rid of these seven wastes. They can they can get they can be successful in spite of not doing it and either because they do other things that overcome it or everyone is using all these wastes and they're, they're creating all this waste so now everybody's on an even playing field but i want you to think about this the this other saying by henry ford he said if i asked the people what they wanted they would have just said a faster horse so sometimes when you try and implement this stuff people don't want you to do it sometimes they they want you to fail why? Because in many cases in the football world, it's a badge of honor to waste time. It's cool to have long practices. It's, people will say, ah, this guy put in his time, right? But time doesn't necessarily equal results. It also doesn't necessarily equal productivity. And think about this Henry Ford example. Imagine as he's introducing the car and the first car he puts on the floor or on the street gets in an accident. People say, see, Cars are stupid. Let's get back on the horse, right? And then you never get past that point. You never progress. So you really have to have persistence. Maybe your car gets in a car accident, but it doesn't mean it's not the best way. Maybe you've got to figure out why it got in an accident. Maybe you need the right environment to put that car in. Maybe you put that car in a street where there's things running all over the place, right? People jumping in front of it because they don't know what, it, what that car actually is. So as you're going through this stuff, just remember, you can't unlearn what you're about to learn. You can't unhear what you're about to hear. So, the seven deadly wastes, what are they? Well, the easiest way to remember it is with an acronym called Tim Wood. I'll say it again. Tim Wood. The T stands for transportation. The I stands for inventory. The M stands for motion. The W stands for waiting. The first O stands for overproduction. The second O stands for overprocessing. And the D stands for defects. So the simplest way to remember this is Tim Wood. Now let's break this down into what each of these things actually mean. And to make it tangible for people in the work world, I'll talk about something from, let's say, manufacturing or you know an operation. And then we'll bring it also back into football right after that. So let's, let's break these down one by one. So the first thing is transportation, right? In the work world, let's just say you're manufacturing something. Imagine that you're making a, let's just say it's a car. Let's keep this simple for this part of the conversation. You're making a car. And imagine if in your facility you had the door in one facility and then you had to drive that door 600 miles to another facility to put the hood on the car. And then when there's a hood on a certain spot, you have to drive that hood 600 miles to another facility where they put the trunk on. So essentially, transportation is moving stuff around from one place to another. 
wouldn't it be simpler if you just had, like car places have now, car manufacturers now, an assembly line where you have the body of the car, and as this body's moving through an assembly line, you just put on the, the door, the hood, the wheel, all that stuff goes on right in the same place. Now, what does this have to do with football, right? So in football, there are many times where we're transferring stuff. You have your football field, and now you need stuff that you want to put on this football field for your drills. And maybe that stuff is bags, or sleds, or cones, but you're moving it from one part of the field to another. So this is time-consuming stuff. And for the most part, it is waste. The act of just transporting it from one place to another is waste. So what's the answer? Maybe I need bags. Maybe I need cones. Well, for me, answer number one is... I should never optimize a process that doesn't need to exist. So for me, as a coach, as a position coach, I hardly ever use anything. I hardly use bags. I hardly use cones because I don't want to move stuff from place to place. I am a big fan of just using the human body and the player in front of you because, you know, during a game, there are no bags. There are no cones. I use the landmarks that are on the field. There are yard markers. There's lines. I just use those things, and I do it right there on the field. But if you absolutely need them, Right? If you absolutely need them, the only option you have is to delegate that responsibility. And you want to try and not delegate that to players or coaches because now you've just deferred your waste onto somebody else uh, who actually provides the most value to a football team. Hopefully you have a manager or you know teams have these sports managers. They can set that stuff up for you. But if you don't have that, you really got to think twice about this transportation of stuff to and from your field. And, and there's a lot of stuff that coaches have. We have a lot of toys. We have uh, jugs machines. You know, we got... I don't know, those ladders that the running backs run over. And some of these things don't even add value. So imagine how awful that is. You're transporting stuff to a field that may not even make your guys better at the sport they're supposed to play. Okay, we went through T. Let's go to I, inventory. This one has been one of the most controversial ones that you could think of. So inventory, again, let's think about it in terms of something tangible. Let's say that I am this car manufacturer and, and I have this assembly line and I needed inventory of spare parts. Not only for the cars themselves, but maybe for something on the assembly line that breaks down. So as any good mechanic will say, well, you're only as good as your parts. And they'll say, why don't you have this endless supply of parts ready just in case something breaks? Well, the truth of the matter is, is that inventory is waste. Why is it waste? Because you have to manage it. You have to store it somewhere. You have to cycle count it and see how much stuff you have. You have to make sure that nobody store, stole it. You have to put it in the right spot. Now, I know this is kind of weird, given the times. And if you're listening to this, uh, at the time right now, there is a spread of the coronavirus going around. And people are, you know, they're scrambling right now to get inventory of water, of toilet paper, of food. And look, this is a weird time. And honestly, you should have some inventory, but I'm not saying to have you should have you should have so much inventory that there's no place to put this stuff and now it owns you. It adds clutter. It takes up space. So the, some inventory is good, insane amount of inventory is bad. And really, the inventory that you have should only be for emergencies. Uh, it should not be so that you have so much stuff that there's no chance that you'd ever run out for the rest of your life. And even if you did that with food, guess what? It's probably going to go bad. Or you're going to run out of places to store it. And now you're living like some sort of hoarder. So that is the terms of inventory in a manufacturing world. But let's take it now to football. Yeah, so you ha people have pads, right? But what if you have so many pads, you have no place to put them? What if you have to keep those pads outside, and then it rains, and they get wet, 
right? Or say you have a shed where you have all these pads, but there's so many of them, you can't even get to the stuff you need. Maybe I need to get to a shield. Maybe I have a prowler in the back of that shed or a sled that I actually do use, but I can't get there because there's so many pads. So you can have some inventory, some, but don't have so much that it's impossible to get to the stuff that you actually need. Because think about this. If you have, you know, 10,000 pads, you can't find anything else. There's, there's, not, there's nowhere else to go. There's nothing else to look for. So the I is inventory. Keep that to a minimum. Keep it for the stuff that you actually need. All right. The next thing is motion. All right. I'm not talking about uh, when the slot motions from a twin set to a trip set. I'm actually talking about the act of moving people. So let's go back to this car manufacturing plant. All right. Let's go back to this car manufacturing plant. The more that person who's working on assembling that car has to move, the worse off they are, right? Imagine if uh, I'm on the east wing of this manufacturing facility and I have to go put the door on a uh, Lincoln Navigator. Boom, I put the door on that Lincoln Navigator. Now I got to walk clear across the facility to go put the door on uh, some other car. I don't know. My mind's blank right now. A Cadillac, Escalade. I don't know why they're in the same manufacturing facility, but who cares? So I walk clear across the facility. I put the door on that one. Right now, that's a giant waste of time. The fact of me moving from one spot of the facility to another spot of the facility is waste. So that motion, it's different from transportation. Transportation is moving stuff. Motion is moving people. Now think about this in terms of football practice. Uh, we're good at we're really good at this part, right? We're moving people all over the place. Sometimes we have uh, guys on the far end of the field, a hundred yards away, hitting the sled. We blow the whistle for the next drill, and it takes the lineman like thirty minutes to get from that end of the field over to the other twenty yard line to do an inside run period. Or imagine you're doing your drills at the same far end of the field, but all the water is a hundred yards away. So now every single time you got to do stuff, your guys have to actually go on this uh, New York City Marathon 26-mile run just to even get to the water or to get to the next drill. It's really good if you have the facilities to do it to try and put your guys in a position where they don't have to constantly jog miles to get from one drill to another. The other thing I'd say is, and this is a great learning lesson that I had a couple of, a couple of years ago, actually about 10 years ago, was it really makes it great if you could bring water to your practice areas as opposed to having everybody go congregate somewhere else for water. Because if, if you've been at practices with me, I'm a big fan of a water break every 10 minutes. Got to keep the guys hydrated. Got to break up the monotony of a practice. You know, got to give, gotta let their minds reset. Get them water, but why have them run to the complete other side of the field every single time to get water? I'm sure you could use the excuse, well, it's, it's part of our conditioning, right? We want to get them in shape. That's garbage, right? It's, <laughs> there's other ways to get them in shape. Let's get them in shape by playing football, not jogging to get water. And look, I've said the same thing myself. We're going to run to get water. We're going to run when we get back from water. And I, I meant it, but it doesn't have to be that way. We could have ran somewhere else. We could have ran in between plays, uh, ran during plays, sorry, than running to get water. That's a lot more beneficial. Okay, so now we've got through the T, the I, the M. Now let's get to the W. This is probably my least favorite thing of all. Waiting. Waiting. So, if I'm, go if I'm going back to this manufacturing line, going back for anything, the, the, when someone is not working, when they're waiting to do their work, it is waste. So imagine you are on this assembly line, but the assembly line is shut down. And now your highly paid, highly skilled mechanic is just sitting there waiting for the next car to come to him. That is waste. 
Or imagine the assembly line should be running, but that mechanic is waiting to have the right tool that he needs right by him, right? So imagine now if you throw motion into this, he's walking across the site to go grab the tool that he needs, and then he's walking back. Well, now while he's doing that, everyone else is waiting. So it's waste to wait. You should, the only time that you should be waiting is either when you need rest, it's an actual rest period, or if you're in the maintenance or production world where something needs to cure, right? You, you put down cement and cement needs to cure, you wait. Uh, you're a painter and there's a coat of paint you put on, you wait. Other than that, there's no real waiting. And if any of you live in New York, which most of the people that listen to this do, how do you feel about waiting at a red light at 5 o'clock in the morning when there's no one coming in either direction? It's the law. I'm going to do it because I follow rules, but it's waste. How do you feel when you're sitting on the Staten Island Expressway or on the West Shore Expressway and just waiting in traffic? It's waste. It is waste, waste, waste. So waiting kills me. Now, how does this, how does this mesh up in the coaching world? I see this a lot. I see coaches who wait until their kids get in the room to draw the play up that they want to diagram on the board. In my mind, and my rule of thumb is always, that kid, those kids walk in, the play's already up on the, the board. They don't need to wait for me to draw this stuff up. It's already up there. If I'm going to watch Huddle with them, I don't turn on Huddle when they walk in the room and start clicking around for plays. Nope, it's already up. The play's up, everything's labeled. Guys, this is the play that we're looking at. Because now you're dealing with their time and attention. And these kids don't have a lot of attention. You got them for maybe 20 minutes, and if you lose them in the beginning, they're lost forever. You got to have their attention from the second they walk in, because they're going to be easily distracted to the second they walk out. So if you're fumbling around through huddle, or if you're fumbling around to, to get your play drawn up, well then, that's waste. It's complete and total waste. Now, times I wouldn't have the play drawn up is if I want to bring a kid up to the front and have him draw the play and him teach the class. You know, obviously, if you're going to draw up a bunch of plays, you may need to erase the board and and have some and take some time to draw it up. But when they walk in, that first play should be drawn up. In my world, there's been times where I've had three plays drawn up so as not to waste their time because time is a commodity and so is attention. Other ones that were brought to me, I, I pulled a couple other coaches to say, hey, what what else do we have to wait on? And one said, you know, setting up a drill. And, and they're right. Imagine you're on the field. Your players run, run over after this motion of going to get water. You say, oh, hang, hang on, guys. Let me go set up these cones. And now they're standing around. Your most valuable resource, your players, are standing around waiting, watching you set up a drill. Right? And this, this will add to my complexity is the enemy of execution. Right? And that I love routine. How many different drills do you possibly need? Imagine if you are constantly setting up new drills every day. And now your guys have to learn new drills. Now they're waiting every single time as you're talking to them. There is waste involved with that. I, and trust me, when it comes to football, drills are great. There are drills that sh should be used and they're applicable to what you're doing. But hopefully when you are in season, you are focusing more on your play execution. And the drills have just become now this routine, this reinforcement of habit so that your guys can execute the way you want them to execute. You shouldn't have to invent a new pursuit drill every day. You shouldn't have to invent a new tackling drill every day. Those things should just be in place when your season rolls so they can focus their limited attention on the scheme that you're putting in, on the techniques that they need to know, and not learning some new drill. Okay, which leads me to the first O, overproduction. So overproduction is making too much stuff. It's making more stuff than you need. Now, why would that be a problem? 
right? Well, let's again, let's go back to this car manufacturer. Let's just say that you make cars and you make a lot of cars, but nobody's buying all these cars. They can't buy them at the rate that you're making them. Well, what has to happen with those cars? You got to put them somewhere. And what waste does that make? Inventory, right? So now I have all these extra cars that people can't buy, and now I got to put them somewhere. And then maybe I'm putting them there, and as they're there, I don't know, somebody uh, drives a fork truck into it. And now it adds another waste, defects, that I'll talk about later. So if you produce too much stuff, now you're creating other wastes. It's actually the worst of the seven wastes is overproduction. So if you think about this from a football perspective or any coaching perspective, imagine putting in more plays than you actually need. Let's say you install 75 plays. And on game day, you use 20. You could say, well, we always we, we might need them sometime. Yeah, but you didn't use them. And now the time that you spent installing those other plays is time that you could have used to perfect the ones that you actually have in. So really, you want to get good, really good, if not great, if not be perfect at the stuff you have before you want to add more, right? So maybe you have too many plays. Maybe you have too many drills. All of that stuff is overproduction. And look, even if you have a playbook, it's as simple as if I have too many plays in my playbook, now I have this giant inventory. Now i got to scroll through this giant playbook to even find the plays that I really want to put in. So to me, just produce what you're going to need. The next one is overprocessing. It's also conf it's confused with overproduction because it sounds like the same thing. But overprocessing is making something way better than it needs to be. It's adding features that either you'll never use or features that could easily break and don't add much value. So any car you have now is all these fancy gadgets, right? I got this pretty cool Lincoln Navigator a couple of years ago, and I uh, had all these fancy gadgets, but like the, uh, the airbag light went on, saying that my airbag was broken. It wasn't broken. It's just a faulty indicator, right? I had another tire pressure switch, and the tire pressure switch broke, saying that my car tires were flat. But they weren't. It was just the switch, the indicating indicator was, was broken. So sometimes you put too much on stuff that you'll never need. And think about the engineering involved, the, the attention to detail needed to make that thing, that thing that maybe doesn't add any value at all or will never increase your productivity or your sales. Now let's put this into football. There's times where coaches, uh, we overcoach. Rex Ryan said it best. He said it's a simple game. But coach is overcomplicated, and man, is he right. And I, I do it myself. I'm not saying that I don't. Sometimes, because you know it, and you love it, and you're obsessed by it, you're cons consumed by it, you put in so many little fancy twists to your, your play, your playbook, that you outthink yourself, right? I, we're, we're talking through this the other day, and, and Joe Sarno, who's coaching over at Tottenville High School, he, he calmed me down said, whoa, we don't need all these checks we don't need all these what-ifs. Let's worry about it if it's actually going to happen. You know, and he's right. You don't want to confuse kids or anyone or coaches for no reason. It is a simple game. You shouldn't overcomplicate it. Put in the playbook of stuff that you're going to use. And my advice is always uh, maybe make it look complicated to your opponent, but keep it simple for yourself. Right? Or think about overprocessing in terms of analytics. I am a data analytics guy. I've been criticized for it. Uh, Coach Mahoney relies too much on analytics. I love statistics. But sometimes, if you give too much information to your players, they're going to freeze. Right? They're going to freeze and they won't be able to analyze everything. Do you think that that kid is thinking that if it's third and six on the 32 yard line and the right hash and they line up in trips? 
and this guy motions from trips to twins that they're probably going to run jet sweep. No, right? He's not thinking that at all. He's probably thinking about, uh, man, I'm tired, sweating, look at that guy's uniform, right? There's too much thinking involved now the kid's not going to be able to play. So that is over-processing. The last one, I alluded to it before, was defects, right? You have a car that you've made, but there's a recall. The car doesn't work. The, uh, the anti-lock uh, brakes don't work. The power steering doesn't work. Now I have a recall. What am I supposed to do? I make the car, and the tires, uh, they fall off the, the side of the wheel. Okay. <laughs> now I got another problem, right? So this is, these are defects. Well, in the sports world... You know, you're, you're, well, let's go back to manufacturing. All the stuff that you were doing was to make a defect-free product. That defective product is waste because you have to remake it, right? You can't just give somebody a car that's broken and they're going to say thank you. That you have to actually go back and now either fix the car that's broken or make a new model of that car. Well, in the sports world, you know, the end product is an effective execution of a play. It is a kid or an athlete doing what you, you want them to do, it's ex them executing it in the right way, and them coming out of it healthy so they can do it again. Just like your car needs to be maintained, your athletes need to be maintained. So the last thing you want to do is put defective products on the field. Either a product that is tired, a product that is confused, a product that is hurt, you know, and all those things create defects. So you you really want to limit those defects as much as possible. And some of that can be done by eliminating these six other wastes, right? If, you're not, if you don't have too much overproduction of plays, it'll produce less, de less defects. If you don't have too much overprocessing of plays, it'll produce less defects. If they're not exha exhausted from motion, unnecessary motion, maybe these guys are healthier, maybe they're fresher. If they're not waiting around, maybe they're not defective because they have more attention because they're paying attention to what's going on. So essentially, you want to have defect-free players. And maybe uh, part of this too could be, could be maybe you have some good plays, right? If you don't make 100 plays and you make 10, maybe as a coach, you can make 10 really good plays, craft them up nicely, make them executable, and now you don't have defects. So hopefully, this conversation about Tim Wood and the seven wastes, you might say, man, this is ridiculous. This is stupid. I have nothing to do with this. But for me, this is, this is something that has changed the way I look at life. It's changed what I do, it's changed how I coach, it's changed how I train, it's changed everything. Uh, and again, I'll remind you that most people aren't going to want to do this. I'm going to close this out with a bonus section. This is not the seven wastes, but it does relate to Six Sigma. It does relate to Lean Six Sigma. And these are two principles that I, I live and die by. The first one is the Pareto Principle. So Alfredo Pareto was an Italian economist. And what happened was he was looking at his pea pods and realized that 20% of his pea pods made 80% of his peas. And he was amazed by this fact. He said, I wonder if this applies to anything else. And after some digging, he realized that 20% of the people in Italy had 80% of the wealth. And then he looked at other things. And what he realized, and that's why it's called the Pareto Principle, is that in life, 20% of your effort produces 80% of your results. So for example, 20% of your players probably make 80% of your plays. 20% of your employees do 80% of the work. 20% of the people that you work with frustrate you 80% of the time. And usually, 
it's a different it's a higher ratio than that 80-20 this 80-20 principle it's really the low end of the spectrum it can be like 595 but what it's essentially saying is that we're wasting a lot of time looking at that 80% of stuff that only gives you 20% of your results right imagine all the stuff you wouldn't have to do if you just focused on that 20% so imagine if you were a defensive coach and you're diagramming plays are you gonna focus on a play that they ran once in 1987 that gave gave them three yards just in case they run it right you could if you want to hold them to zero yards you could but what about the 20% of the plays that gained 80% of their yards or what about the 20% of the plays that they ran 80% of the time? Or what about the 20% of their players who do 80% of their great things? That's where you got to start. And I'm not saying you, gotta, you can't uncover every detail or work on certain situations. But you really want to limit what you're doing, for the most part, to that 20%. Because that's where you're going to get the most back. If you spend 80% of your time on the... The other 80% that does nothing, well, now all those results are missed. I would say the same thing about your drills. Pick drills that you can do, the 20% of your drills that impact 80% of how you play. Right? These are things that these are things that you should do. And if you're thinking about it from a work perspective, I'm going back to Tim Ferriss and the 40-hour, the four-hour work week. He says things like you should 80/20 your whole life, every like maybe once a month. You go back and say, who are the 20% of the people that are wasting 80% of my time? What are the 20% of the products that I'm selling that are making 80% of my revenue? And how do I use my hammer to find those nails? And that's a big one. The complementing principle for this is actually called Parkinson's Law. So Parkinson's Law states that you're going to take as long as the time given to you to get something done. So for example, at work. If you have a one-hour meeting, if you schedule a meeting for one hour, it's probably going to take an hour. If the meeting could have gotten done in 15 minutes, you're going to stretch it out to an hour because you have the time. If you're a student and you have a term paper and you start it on day one of the term, or if you stay, start it on day 100 of the term, you're probably going to get this, almost the same exact grade. You'll get it done on the same day. But when you start it on day one, you take your time, you add fluff, you do stuff that's not necessary, and you get basically the same result. When you start it late and you have to get it done by a certain deadline, you eliminate all the unnecessary things that don't need to be there and you focus on the critical few. Same thing as if uh, you have to get to work and you have to be there by 7.30 in the morning and you get up, and say you get up at like uh, 5.45, it might take you till about, I don't know, 6.45 to get out the door, right? You brush your teeth, you walk your dog, you look in the mirror, you watch a little sports center. You know, you do a whole bunch of different things. But the, the other part of this is, is that let's just say your alarm goes off at the wrong time, goes off at 6.15. You're still going to be able to leave at 6.45. Maybe you don't watch sports center for 20 minutes. Maybe you do your hair once instead of seven times. You know, you're eliminating the waste or the unnecessary stuff because you only have time to focus on the critical few. Now, how does this complement the Pareto Principle? Well, if I don't have a lot of time, right, if I use Parkinson's law and I schedule the least amount of time possible, well, then I can't focus on that 80% that produces no results, right? So by setting up short time periods, you actually force yourself to eliminate waste.
And this is, I'd say, on a personal level, this is where I have struggled as a coach, especially as a head coach, where I have created very short time periods for practice, practices and segments in the attempt to force coaches to have to get rid of things that don't add value. I'm going to attempt to get coaches to stop working on stuff that they're never going to use or non-transferable drills because they don't have the time to do it. Now, the hardest part, and again, I told you this before, is people don't want to do this. So if they're used to having you know, a, an hour indie and I'm only giving them 15 minutes, well, now this is a problem. right? Now, that, now they have to get rid of stuff. and They don't want to get rid of stuff. They've been doing it for 100 years. Or they have to come prepared. They have to set that drill up before the kid even gets there. Right? If they're going to have a meeting, they have to have that huddle up and ready to go. So you do put a lot of pressure on the people working around you to take their game to the next level and be as efficient as possible as you set these parameters. So just, just think about how that ties together. The Pareto Principle and Parkinson's Law, they really go hand in hand, and they both enable each other. So by focusing on the critical few, you're able to get stuff done in less time, and if you set the parameter to less time, well, then you have to focus on the critical few. And again, I'm, I'm going to close this out by saying, look, you could win if you don't do any of this stuff. There are people that have won by focusing on the 100%. There's people that have won by embracing these seven deadly wastes and overdoing it to every single capacity. You could win either way. I'd say that uh, you could win in spite of this. You can win because everybody else is doing it. But for me, my preference, the way my mind works, the way I've seen the best industries work, the best organizations work, a lot of the best teams work is by eliminating these wastes so that you have time and attention to focus on what's important. I hope this episode has helped you. I hope it helps you in coaching. I hope it helps you in life. And I apologize because you can never unlearn what you just learned. That's it. Your life will now be as frustrating as mine. Do not blow red lights on Bloomingdale Road at 5 o'clock in the morning. It's not worth it. And in these times of the coronavirus, I am not a doctor. I am not quantified to say, qualified to say any of what I'm going to say, but I'll just tell you what I've heard from very smart people. Wash your hands. Don't put your hands on your face. If you're going to sneeze or cough, do it into your elbow. Maintain distance from people for about, uh, I'd say, six feet and stay away from crowded areas, and stay healthy. That is one of your best means of really fighting off or not having the, the horrible, horrible impacts of the coronavirus. Again, I'm not a doctor. I'm just telling you what I heard, but I feel like it's worth mentioning at this time those things. I heard them from much smarter people than me. Stay well. Stay safe. Thank you.